Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, we are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for tuning in today. Today uh, we are two-manning the program. Vicar is uh, on vacation. He'll be back uh, in a few days and... uh, uh, a well-earned and much-deserved vacation. He's done a great job this year and uh, really stepped up during the um, pandemic. I don't know what to even say. Uh, we made a transition from um, worship corporately, <coughs> excuse me, corporately uh, three times a week and uh, school chapels and all that kind of stuff, and boom, everything had to be online youtube he did a uh, yeoman's job uh, with our website and our daily emails and we're still bearing the fruit of that and we will long 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 after he's gone so we'll give a give a shout out to the vicar um we're looking at the readings for pentecost wit sunday uh if you prefer the old lingo and uh pentecost you would uh, you would think that uh, this would be a really, really big, major festival in the church, and in some places it is. And in others, um, sadly, it's kind of gone the way of so many of the other church festivals that's become almost forgotten. You know, the little kids gather around at Sunday school and sing uh, happy birthday to the church, and that's about it. So today we want to take a look at, um, uh, this will be our last look at the upper room discourse of Jesus. We've been doing this ever since the uh, Easter um, Easter season throughout the entire Easter season, starting with the third Sunday of Easter. We've been in John 14, 15, and 16, and we uh, every year we have a great opportunity to look in detail at uh, these marvelous words of Jesus, and we'll continue that today. The uh, Gospel reading for Pentecost Sunday, John 14, 23 to 31. Pastor? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, You would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, 
Let us go from here. Okay. John 14, 23 to 31, the gospel reading for Pentecost Sunday. Um, we do have reference to the Holy Spirit here, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. This is uh, verse 25 and 26. Um, as, we're, as we're hearing these words of Jesus in this particular text, there is one word that seems to stand out more than any other word. And that word is not spirit. It is not faith. It is love. Now, I know the Gospel of John, the Epistles of John, and to a certain extent, the Revelation of St. John all emphasizes love. And so John is sometimes referred to as the Apostle of Love. Pastor, you would think that on Pentecost, when we are talking about the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, and enlightens the Holy Christian Church on earth, the Holy Spirit is the uh, Lord and giver of life, that we would talk about some of these other things, and yet we have this emphasis on love. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. What are we to make of this, uh, if anyone loves me? Is this, is this kind of a conditional relationship that God has with people? Is this, if we do our part, then God will do his? Um, how are we to understand these words from Jesus? Well, it, no, it's not about um, us doing our part. Again, I, I think the, the key is uh, what he's describing here. If someone loves me, if that's true, the reason is he's keeping my word or hearing my word or uh, being a part of my word, participating in my word. Whoever does not love me does not participate or keep or be in my word. And so again, we see, I think this is great, and this is why it is the Pentecost test, text, is that the love that Jesus is talking about is a fruit that is in the Christian's life as a result of hearing God's word. And so the word, the word, the word is the most important thing. The word is what the Holy Spirit, the helper, is attached to. The word is what calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the church. It's not just plain water and baptism, but it is the word of God in and with the water. It's uh, the word that's attached to bread and wine that brings the reality of Christ's body and blood so that we can have forgiveness, life, and salvation. It's the word of God that makes us love God and love Jesus. And so here we see again, Jesus is teaching us in a slightly different way, but the same idea that the word is the thing that brings faith, and in this case, love of Jesus and of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, very, very well said. Thank you. And uh, if you look at the context, if you look at John chapter 14, uh, Jesus, you know, it's, it's always kind of tough when you pick up Jesus right in the middle of a uh, statement, discourse, uh, sermon, speech, uh, whatever you want to say. And in John chapter 14, uh, he, he's talking about the, the importance of faith in him as the Savior. It begins, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. And uh, then he goes on, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then um, in verse 
12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes, me, believes in me will also do the works that I do. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So this theme is all the way through here. Love is manifest in Jesus sacrificing himself for the life of the world on Calvary's cross. This is brought out early on in the Gospel of John. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This love is from God to us. And now, as we have heard the word of God regarding his love for us in Jesus, as we believe the word of God regarding his love for us in Jesus, we will want to love one another. We will love the words that God gives us. And here Jesus is explaining in more detail how the Holy Spirit, the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, kind of fits and ties all these things together that he's been, uh, he's been talking about. Whoever does not, uh, let's see here, we will come to him and make our home with him. Who is the we that uh, Jesus is talking about here in John fourteen twenty three. Well, um, here it's it's not just a we means more than one person. And the difficult thing here is that when Jesus is talking like this, he's speaking in terms of the Trinity. Specifically, uh, he's directly talking about the Father and him. Uh, indirectly, through the Word, he's also talking about the Holy Spirit. And so in this way, he's telling us that all three persons of the Trinity come and dwell with the Christian through the hearing of the Word and the reception of the sacraments, and that's important for us in our Christian faith. And throughout this discourse, and we've talked about this uh, a lot over the last couple of weeks, Jesus is explaining the mystery of the Trinity. He is explaining the mystery of the relationship between the Father and the Son. He's explaining the mystery of the relationship between the Son and the Spirit. He's explaining the mystery between the Father and the Son and the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he keeps doing this over and over again because it's a mystery. And our simple brains cannot understand or comprehend that which is incomprehensible. Uh, next week, the week after Pentecost, Trinity Sunday, we'll be confessing, as we always do on Trinity Sunday, the Athanasian Creed. And the Athanasian Creed, in great detail, confesses this mystery. It doesn't explain it. It confesses it because it is unexplainable. Pastor, the importance of letting this mystery that's unfolded throughout the high priestly prayer and the upper room discourse in these chapters, the importance of leaving the mystery as a mystery. Well, anytime we try to uh, put the Trinity into a way that we can understand, uh, even well-meaningly, uh, we always fall into error. And I think, you know, um, a great look at this uh, in a video format is um, Lutheran satire and his uh, St. Patrick's Day um, uh, video, which is just great. It does it in a humorful way uh, and teaches you, you know, if, if we're talking about God as an apple and uh, the seeds are one part and the flesh is another part and the skin is another part, uh, we're falling into the error of 
partialism, uh, you know, that uh, even a CPH book has, a, you know, the Trinity is like an apple. Or if we're talking about it in terms of a, a three-leaf clover, and each clover is a different part of God, or, you know, the, the Father puts on the hat of Savior and the, uh, then the hat of the Holy Spirit, then we're into modalism and all these different trinity heresies from the early church which keep on cropping up and being recycled in new formats today the only way we can understand the trinity is letting it be a mystery and understanding that it's a mystery beyond our comprehension and that the god is one god in three persons and three persons in one god neither dividing the substance nor confusing the persons and that's the impossible yet true answer of what god is so we let the mystery be the mystery because God wants us to let this mystery be the mystery. We can't figure it out with our reason or strength, and that's okay. We simply hear the word of God. We believe the word of God. We confess back to God and to our brothers and sisters what God's word says. And that sounds an awful lot like the ministry of the Holy Spirit, teaching us the words of the Father, teaching us the words and teachings of the Son, and confessing them to us, and then by extension through us, as we go into the whole world in the name and under the blessings of our Lord and Savior Jesus. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for Pentecost Sunday. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. God in the flesh for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're looking at the readings for Pentecost and uh, that bumper music that we played uh, coming in here. You uh, may be familiar with the tune. You probably weren't familiar with the words. They were in Latin. But, uh, Pastor, do you want to say, say anything about that particular tune and its connection to Pentecost? Yeah, it's uh, one of the most... I don't know, ancient, well-known Pentecost hymns, Come Holy Ghost, Creator Blessed, and it was actually uh, written all the way back in the 8th century, 9th century uh, A.D. by a guy named Rabanus Maurus, and uh, it was then translated into uh, German and recreated into a Luther hymn uh, that was... uh, used as well, uh, come Holy Ghost, God and Lord. Um, and 
it's it's got that ancient pedigree. It's got fantastic theology in teaching the work of the Holy Spirit and what he does, even that first line, come Holy Ghost, creator, bless, and make our hearts your place of rest. In other words, the Holy Spirit... <clears throat> is calling, gathering, enlightening, and sanctifying the church. Uh, and he does that through the Word, and that's the things that are taught in that uh, great Pentecost hymn. <clears throat> so uh, we'll be singing that on uh, Pentecost Sunday here at Good Shepherd. You've maybe heard that sung at ordinations or installations. It is a uh, very, very common hymn in the church, and yet in many respects it is one that is not as well known by the people sitting in the pews as it could be. It is, uh, it is not that difficult, and I would just encourage people uh, to have, a, we'll have a little blended into uh, at home in your hymnal talk right now. Uh, this would be a great hymn that while you're spending a little extra time at home during the uh, end days, hopefully, of the pandemic thing, that uh, you might want to commit this hymn or one or two verses of this hymn, at least, to memory. You can go on YouTube. There's a hundred different people singing this hymn, uh, the Gregorian chant that we were listening to with our bumper music. It is a great hymn, and as Pastor said, the theology of, of this hymn is what makes it lasting and enduring along with that great tune. It's one that uh, kids can easily learn as well. So Easy. 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 Okay. Let's get back to our text, the uh, gospel reading for Pentecost Sunday, John 14, 23 to, 20, or to 31. Okay. Verse 20, oh boy, 6. I should have brought my reading glasses, Pastor. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we've been talking about the importance of love, love that flows from the Word of God, love that is created by the Word of God, Love that is created by the Word of God that wants to follow, cling to, listen, and obey the Word of God. Here we have the Holy Spirit bringing, you know, part of the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing to remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit bringing to remembrance in Christians the Word of God. So what? Well, uh, this is the... Holy Spirit's attachment to word, and when the word comes to us, it teaches us dogma or doctrine, and when the Holy Spirit brings these things to mind, that's what um, allows us to talk about God, to understand God, to proclaim God, to uh, debate the finer theological points and all these things. The Holy Spirit is always at work in the word and bringing to remembrance these things, and most importantly, Uh, I think one of the things that Jesus is probably alluding to here is, uh, for example, the Lord's Supper, where he says, this do in remembrance of me. Uh, And he even says the same thing in uh, Matthew 28 at the... um, the uh, It's called the Great Commission. I'm not sure that's quite the right name, but when he says... um, Go into all nations, make disciples by preaching the word and uh, by teaching them all the things that I have commanded to you. Um, That, again, is the same idea that the Holy Spirit in the word is bringing the faith to Christians. One thing that I want to bring out in this text, and again, I know that for the vast majority of our hearers, the... uh, 
theology, the doctrine and practice of the Orthodox Church. And but I, what I mean by that is the uh, Orthodox, capital O, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Armenian Orthodox churches, they have a unique teaching, and it's one that caused the great schism, and uh, this is the Filioque controversy, and it is based on this verse, verse 26 of John chapter 14. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, we confess in the, in the Nicene Creed, uh, the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And uh, Latin for and the Son is filioque. So uh, this big controversy has caused a major division in Christendom for, oh, I don't know, about a thousand years. So, Pastor, um, because we have very, very few connections and dealings with the Orthodox faith in Nebraska, I have always just kind of thought to myself, this is not that big a deal. So, help me, teach me, catechize me with regard to um, the Filioque and this particular verse and how it fits in. Yeah, the filioque, like you've said, is the question is, does the Holy Spirit proceed just from the Father, or does he proceed from the Father and the Son? And of course, we fall into the, he proceeds from the Father and the Son together camp. And that's because of what John, uh, Jesus has said elsewhere in the book of John as well, where he says, I will send the helper to you, or the paraclete to you. Uh, and so he says both ways, not just that the Father sends it, but that also that Jesus will, and that's what Scripture teaches. The Orthodox Church teaches differently, that the Spirit proceeds only from the Father. Um, now, first off, that's not taking into account then the places in Scripture where Jesus says, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. It's also uh, changes the reality of who the Trinity is, um, because then the Father becomes the uh, thing that holds the Trinity together. He uh, kind of becomes slightly above um, the, the Son and the Holy Spirit because he's able to interact with both parts of the Trinity. And then that changes the equalness of those persons within the Godhead, and that can cause other issues, theologically speaking, which can lead us away from the true faith. And so it's important to keep that correct and proper in our understanding of the Trinity uh, as we deal with that issue. And I and maybe I'm, we're going over people's heads, but it is an important thing for us to remember. I think one way, and I, I love the way you explained it, because <clears throat> Scripture talks both ways, and this is not a contradiction. They are both true, and this is a part of that mystery that we talked about in our previous segment, the mystery of the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, three persons in one God. Scripture speaks of Jesus sending the Spirit, and in this verse, it speaks of the Father sending the Spirit. They're both true, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. In the same way, Holy Scripture talks about Jesus rising from the dead on his own. And in other places, Scripture talks about God the Father raising Jesus from the dead. So which is it? Did the Father do it or did Jesus do it? And the answer, in true Lutheran fashion, following the Scriptures, is yes. We let the mystery be the mystery. Is that a fair comparison, Pastor? It is, and that's the only way we can do it because... Um 
As much as we might like to understand and be inside the Trinity, we're not. We're outside the Trinity, and the Trinity acts um, together outside, even if it, um, you know, we don't even understand the way that it works within itself. And so we have to just let it be a mystery and t- trust the Word and study the Word. Uh, and that's why I'd encourage you to read these sections of John, uh, as well as the rest of the Scripture, so that you can understand how Scripture speaks in both ways, and we can't silence one of those ways uh, just for the sake of our theology. In verse 27, and uh, I, I really, I really want to uh, dwell on this, uh, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Pastor, in this day and age, especially, I mean, we're in the in the midst, hopefully the end of the pandemic thing. There are a lot of people who are still very, very afraid to go out of the house, afraid to go out without a mask, afraid to uh, be close to another human being, heaven forbid, shake a hand. Um, all these things are causing fear in our world. And now Jesus says that he is bringing peace. The Prince of Peace is bringing peace. The Holy Spirit is going to, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is going to be this peace, but it is not peace as the world wants or desires. What are we talking about here? What kind of peace is Jesus talking about? And how is this more important than the peace that the world craves? Well, the peace that... um Jesus is talking about is a peace that uh, surpasses all understanding, a peace that um, comes from being reconciled with God, a peace that comes from being forgiven of all of our sin. And that's a better kind of peace than we have in this world. Uh, So, for example, um, after World War II, uh, we were technically at peace with Russia or the Soviet Union, right? But what did that look like? I'm sure when you were in school, you know, 100 years ago, um, you had drills where you had to stand, uh, you had to climb underneath your desk in case the Soviets nuked us, right? We're at peace, but we're in a Cold War. We're still in conflict. Um, And so that's technically peace, but it's really not. It's a a peace of the world. Or even... um, Technically, right now, we're at peace with Iran, right? We aren't in open conflict with them, and yet how well do we get along? Um, A place where we're, um, you know, you could say, okay, whatever. We we were at peace with Germany um, in the... 1800s, we even fought with them uh, in in a minor way against the uh, Napoleonic Wars, uh, and yet a little while later, then they were our enemy, and then now they're not. And is it possible they will be again? Yes. Peace in the world doesn't last. It's temporary. So, uh, Pastor, at the risk of uh, really, really, really setting things off, uh, how about the example of a uh, man and a woman who used to be married to each other, and they've gone through a bitter and painful divorce, and now they're dealing with uh, filing their taxes or child custody arrangements or who gets to walk who down the aisle and these kind of things. Um, can we lump that into that kind of peace as well? The, the peace of the world that isn't really that peaceful sometimes at all. And there is only one true peace, and that peace is the forgiveness of sins earned by the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus 
And this is the peace that the Holy Spirit gives as he calls, gathers, and enlightens you and the whole Christian church on earth. We need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for Pentecost Sunday. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Worship has resumed at Good Shepherd, thanks be to God. We uh, worship on Sunday mornings at 8 and 10.30, Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Uh, the Wednesday evening service is year-round. All services uh, in this uh, kind of unusual circumstances that we're in right now uh, are the divine service and so please join us we are encouraging not requiring but encouraging pre-registration uh, everybody is socially distanced and we're taking great uh, care and precautions so that people feel safe in coming back to God's house things have run exceptionally smooth uh, since we came back and uh, we are looking forward at the 1030 service on Pentecost Sunday we are looking forward to junior confirmation which was postponed from all the way back seven weeks earlier on uh, holy saturday so we look forward to that uh Please join us, and uh, if you're not able to be here in person or if you're a little bit nervous yet, uh, we understand. Listen on the radio, KNNALP 95.7. If we have it at Good Shepherd, it's on the radio. You can also go to the uh, Good Shepherd website, goodshepherdlincoln.org, a great, great, handy uh, place to connect you to our daily devotions, to our YouTube channel. Um, all the archives on KNNA's website, everything that you need to uh, hear the Word of God and to stay strong in the faith during these uh, strange and difficult days. Pastor, I want to turn our attention uh, to a, technically it's our epistle reading, but uh, you know the Acts of the Apostles really is a genre all of its own. And so the uh, epistle reading for Pentecost Sunday Acts 2, 1 to 21, and this is the historical narrative of Pentecost Sunday. And the Old Testament reading is the Tower of Babel. We've looked at that several times in the past. I want to spend this segment and our next segment in Acts chapter 2. Uh, I know this is one of your favorite books of the Bible as well. And I want to draw on your expertise for the theology of Pentecost as we are taught by the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 2. So take it away, Acts 2, 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right. That's the the marvelous clincher at the end of that long narrative, Acts 2, 1 to 21, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, uh, as we examine the readings for Pentecost, the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit here at Pentecost, it is, um, it is so difficult for Western culture people, it is so diff- difficult for Americans to come to grips with the fact that we cannot, by our own reason or strength, do something. Because pretty much everything in this world, everything that we have been taught from little on, says that if you put enough reason, if you put enough strength, if you put enough willpower into something, you can do it. And the fact that God's Word teaches throughout that apart from the person and work of the Holy Spirit, we cannot believe. Pastor, any, any thoughts on that on that broad topic before we start picking apart Acts chapter 2? Yeah, it's a really hard thing uh, for us to understand, and yet it is the essence of the gospel that he saves us, not by righteous things that we have done, but rather through Jesus Christ crucified and risen, through God's word coming to us, through... Um, 
baptism through the Lord's Supper, in these things, God makes us Christians. And unless we leave it to God that way, uh, we're ultimately hurting the gospel, taking away from the personal work of Jesus. Uh, the small called articles are a really great thing to study to understand this. When we do any false doctrine or false teaching that takes away from the person and work of Jesus and finds our salvation in any other little thing, which is what we want to do, we're hurting the true gospel, Christ crucified and risen. The, uh, the airwaves recently, and uh, maybe some of our listeners have seen the uh, advertisements, uh, Franklin Graham and uh, the uh, people that he works for or whatever have been flooding the airwaves with commercials, and 90% of the commercial is great where he talks about in these difficult and uncertain times, the one thing that you can be sure of, uh, God sent his son to die for you and for your sins. He rose from the dead. And then he says, all you have to do is pray this prayer. And it's like he takes away in the last 10% of the commercial everything that he had so marvelously uh, proclaimed at the beginning of the commercial. And, you know, I listen to that and I, I cringe because people are getting the impression that they have the reason, the strength, and the power to invite Jesus into their heart. People have the reason, the strength, and the power, in a sense, to save themselves. <clears throat> Pastor, comments on that. Well, um, it brings me back to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. One little mistake infects the whole thing. Uh, or maybe in the way he would say it, <laughs> I don't know if he'd say it this way, but we could say it this way today, right? One little tiny virus makes the whole body sick, right? There you go. Um, that's the sad part about this, just that uh, little tiny mistake of now you just have to invite Jesus in. It seems really innocent, it seems really uh, trivial, and yet it takes away everything from the gospel because now you're responsible for your salvation instead of God. And the trouble with that is, is if you're responsible and you haven't been perfect, you're in a bad spot. Uh, Christ has to be the one who saves us, not ourselves. God's word is clear. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, 1 to 21, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Wait a minute, Pastor. You mean Pentecost was Pentecost before Pentecost? Um, I thought this was a New Testament holiday. Uh, help me out here. Well, uh, Pentecost is a... Um Old Testament holiday as well. Uh, it's not just a, a new Christian thing. Uh, it is a feast that celebrated um, 40 days after um, the Feast of the Passover. In the rest of Scripture, it's known as the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot, uh, and you can uh, read about it in lots of places in the Old Testament as well. Uh, it's kind of an important feast. It celebrates the revelation of the five books of the Torah uh, uh, from God given to Moses at Mount Sinai. Uh, it commemorates the wheat harvest in the land of Israel, uh, and um, it's also one of the three pilgrimage festivals. In other words, you're required to go to Jerusalem on that day um, as well. And so all these things were the Old Testament one, which then God, I don't know if he takes it over again 
uh, for the Christian festival of Pentecost. He births the church on that day. I think you see the parallels from the Old Testament, Moses birthing the, the Jewish religion and faith by receiving from God the Ten Commandments and uh, the, the Pentateuch, and now the Christian church is birthed again by God by receiving God's word of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, preached into all the world. Uh, we could even see it then also as a undoing, if you will, of uh, the Tower of Babel from uh, Genesis as well, where now all the nations that had been scattered and their languages confused are brought back together and their languages reunited in the language of Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, the Tower of Babel teaches us what God thinks of globalism, and that is not a political statement. That is a God's word, religious faith statement there too. It always, always, always gets us in theological trouble. And to hedge that just a little bit, it's globalism apart from Christ. Amen. Amen. So last thing in our time before our break here, Pastor, you talked about, and uh, and uh, Pentecost is 50 days after Passover, right? Yep. right? Sorry, yeah. I okay. said the wrong thing. Yeah, that's right. I knew, I knew you just Trying misspoke Trying to think there. and talk at the same so, time. So it's a pilgrimage festival. Is that why all these people here from these towns and uh, areas that you could you can barely pronounce, is that why all these people are here, or do they uh, permanently dwell there? Um, how did all these people get here? No, the the pilgrimage festival, that is why they're there. They have uh, probably brought uh, the first fruits of their wheat harvest. Uh, they've been harvesting that since the time of the Passover, and so they bring that, and this is when, you know, in uh, Leviticus and um, uh, Deuteronomy, you hear about all the wave offerings where you take the bread or the, the wheat and you wave it in front of the Lord. Uh, that's the thing, things that are going on here. Uh, and so they're here from all over the the known world at that time because that's what they're required to do to come to Jerusalem and bring that wave offering, uh, first fruits of the wheat harvest. That sets the stage perfectly. When we come back from our break, we're going to continue our look at Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Sunday, the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. Vicar Golden's on vacation. We pray for safe travel for he and his family, and uh, we look forward to his return and finishing out his vicarage uh, very, very strong. He'll work through the end of July. We're looking at our epistle reading, Acts 2, 1 to 21. In our first two segments, we looked at our gospel reading, John 14. We could have spent more time with John 14, but we decided to come to the narrative of Pentecost. And in section three, we kind of introduced that and talked about a, a few things around that. Now we want to spend the rest of our time in Acts 2, 1 to 21. Uh, some of the sights and sound 
that accompany Pentecost. We have uh, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where the disciples were staying. Divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The sights and the sounds, the, the rushing wind, the speaking in tongues, and the tongues of fire. Yeah, um, even I'd say the tongues of fire, in a way, ordaining them into the office of apostleship, um, resting on them the same way when you were ordained, pastors laid their hands on your forehead. Uh, So we have this sight of the fire coming down, and uh, we have the uh, shaking and the wind, and all these things remind us of Mount Sinai back in the Old Testament, which is fitting uh, with the comparison between uh, the, the Feast of Pentecost in the Old Testament and the Feast of Pentecost in the New Testament. And so in the same way that God gave his word to Moses, now God is giving his word and ordaining these 12 men to become the apostles, to go out and preach the word, to administer the sacraments, and to bring people to the Christian faith through that work of the Holy Spirit and word and sacrament. And that sets the stage then for the rest of the book and what they do. They go out and they preach, they baptize, they uh, have the Lord's Supper, and as a result of those things happening, people become Christians. Okay, so Pastor, how would you respond if somebody said, okay, uh, I'll, I'll I'll grant you that these things happened 2,000 years ago on the first Pentecost. How come they don't happen today? Well, they do happen today. It's just not as um, exciting or earth-shattering. Dramatic. Dramatic. Um, In the same way that uh, Peter preached and people heard it and believed, so too do pastors today preach. And when they preach God's word in its truth and purity faithfully, the Holy Spirit creates faith. When they baptize people, the Holy Spirit creates faith. When they administer the Lord's sacrament uh, of the altar according to its institution, uh, the Holy Spirit creates faith. Now, we don't have the Holy Spirit shaking the earth and coming to rest upon people uh, in the same exact way. Is it possible? Sure, but it doesn't happen. Um, And yet we shouldn't doubt that the same things are taking place because we have the sure and certain word that teaches us this is how God is working. Okay, now we've we've made several uh, comments and statements, and I want I want you to bring them all together. We've got Jesus in the upper room in our first two segments, John fourteen. He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to bring uh, all these things that Jesus taught to mind. We have here uh, we have the tongues of fire. You said uh, in a sense this is the apostles getting ordained. By God, We also said that the hymn that we've been playing is our bumper music, and uh, these readings and all these things, they talk about ordination and installation of pastors. How do we get from the apostles on the day of Pentecost to pastors like Poppy and Moline in the pulpit preaching and teaching and administering the sacraments? Uh, do we have... have do we have some apostolic succession that we claim? Uh, do we have a new ministry of apostleship that others don't have? Is uh, How do we make this connection so that the people can be sure that when they hear their preacher preach, 
that it is the Holy Spirit working and preaching through them. Yet you follow yeah, me? I do. Uh, in a sense, we do have apostolic succession, but it's not in the way that it's taught in the Roman Church, where if your hands uh, hands are laid upon your forehead by uh, a bishop who had hands laid on his forehead by the Pope, and the the Pope is the authority that uh, passes on the office, the ministry. Uh, in fact, the early church didn't have that either. That apostolic succession is wrong. Our apostolic succession, however, is in the teaching and dogma and uh, uh, doctrine of the church. We still preach the word, we still administer the sacraments the way that they were done in the early church. Now we have the office of the holy ministry then that also comes up later in the book of Acts, uh, where we have, for example, uh, Stephen and the other Greek pastors who are ordained. The apostles laid hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to preach and teach and administer the sacraments. And that gets passed on then, that happens to St. Paul, it happens to Barnabas, it happens to Timothy, uh, it happens to Titus, it happens to all these guys where they are ordained into the office of the Holy Ministry. And you can study the book of Acts and the epistles of Paul to see that. And the same thing is true for us then. We have been ordained and placed into the order, the office of the Holy Ministry. Uh, And that's why then we preach and we administer the sacraments just like all the pastors in the, the uh, New Testament do when they're placed into the office of the Holy Ministry. And so there's one office. That office uh, has been brought about for the preaching of the gospel and the ministry of the sacraments, and that's the same office that we have been placed into. Trained, examined, called, ordained. That's how uh, I was taught uh, one how becomes I was a pastor. And this is how I teach the confirmation kids. And this is, this is not to set up some hierarchy where pastors are more important than other people. This is so that people can be absolutely sure and certain that when their pastor speaks, it is the Holy Spirit speaking through them. And it's also sure and certain for the pastor so that he knows he's not out there doing his own thing, but he has been given a call and a charge from God to speak and to preach and to administer only those gifts which the Holy Spirit has given. And and that process we see take place, for example, with uh, Stephen and the other um, uh, Greek pastors that come up, I think, uh, later on in the book of Acts, is it chapter, off the top of my head, chapter 7 or or something in there? Uh, They're trained, they are called, they are ordained, uh, that whole business is done to them, and you can see it take place in the words of the book of Acts. And um, that's really an important thing that we have to know and trust, that that's the procedure and the process in which God works to put men into an office uh, for a specific reason, preaching the gospel and ministering the sacraments. And so outside of that we want to be careful and not uh, elevate people, just lay people into that order, uh, because that goes against the order that God sets up in uh, the scriptures in that regard. And also, you can have someone who is a pastor or claims to be a pastor, but they're not preaching the word of God. They're preaching their own thoughts, minds, ideas, and desires. And that's why it's important for all of God's people, the uh priesthood of the baptized, to know their scriptures and to examine them diligently and uh, make sure that their pastor is preaching in accord with the Word of God. It's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. Pastor, I think we'd be remiss if we 
did not, since we've been talking about the office of the Holy Ministry, uh, Peter, in his marvelous sermon here on Pentecost Sunday, preaches on the prophet Joel, mm-hmm. and uh he quotes Joel, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and even on male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Pastor, is this talking about women's ordination into the office of the Holy Ministry, or is the prophet Joel talking about something else? It's not talking about women's ordination. It's talking about people being brought into the faith. And, um, you know, for example, we see, I'm going to get the wrong one here, if it's Timothy or Titus, I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, whose mother taught them the faith when they were a child. And Ti- That's Timothy. It's Timothy, okay. That's I couldn't remember what Timothy top of my head. is young, Titus is old. That's how I keep him apart. All right. So Timothy's mother uh, teaches him the faith, and it has an effect on him, and yet she's not in the office of the holy ministry publicly administering this. Uh, she's doing it in her home uh, as a good mother should, um, and um, that's the same difference that we would talk about with women's ordination now. My wife can pray with my children and teach them the faith uh, while I'm away at work or doing things, and um, that is good and salutary and right for her to do as a mother. That's part of her vocation as a mother, and it is the same there, but it is not the vocation of pastor doing it for a congregation here. So if you hear people referring to this chapter in Acts, Acts chapter 2, with regard to women's ordination, you know that they are taking it out of context and uh, that they need to be corrected with regard to that. They're bringing their social agenda to the scriptures rather than reading the scriptures uh, on their own. Oh, and we see a lot of that today. Uh, On that, uh, the day of the Lord... Uh, it seems it seems to me that maybe Peter gets a little bit mixed up because he's confusing Pentecost with Judgment Day, and he's got, he's got all of that together in the same sermon. What what is what is Peter doing? Well, Peter uh, is preaching sermons with law, gospel, and all uh, about Jesus from the Old Testament scriptures. And so he's taking an Old Testament scripture and he's seeing how it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And so when we're talking about the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, we're talking about the day of Jesus when he comes and is crucified and resurrected to forgive the sins of the whole world. And from the point of the resurrection all the way up until the last day, we're living in the last times. And so Peter is teaching that and preaching that uh, so that people, as we're going to see later on in the Acts chapter 2, uh, they ask, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's the same message that we preach now in the last days as faithful pastors. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Law and gospel word and sacrament. God's word is very simple, very clear, and very profound. The Holy Spirit points us to the completed work of Jesus Christ. And as we live in these last days now, we don't know when the end of the world will come. We don't know when Christ comes back. But in as we live in these days, we do the same thing. We preach and teach Jesus crucified and risen, the true peace that comes from his life, death, and resurrection, peace that the world cannot give, and we cling to the promise, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.
What an awesome gift. What an awesome promise. Pastor, would you bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day for Pentecost? Let us pray. O God, on this day you once taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending them the light of your Holy Spirit. Grant us in our day by the same Spirit to have a right understanding in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy consolation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. When you get up on Sunday morning, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastors, and uh, come to church. Um, The Lord drives away all fear, and if you're not able for whatever reason to be in God's house, check us out on the radio or on the internet. God's richest blessings in Christ today and always.